Guys, so I realized that uh, in the original attempt to get the 300 episodes, which, as we all know, after 300 episodes, I quit doing the Alex cast. It's no longer a show. However, I so I screwed up. Uh, it turns out there were some episodes I skipped. Uh, I realized this when I was putting episodes on the Patreon feed. So patreon.com slash Alex Bolin, Alex with two X's. Uh, so in the future, when I keep forgetting various things and then tell you that I have to do more episodes to get to actually 300, uh, you can find old episodes on there. And I'm going to be uploading some Patreon-only content. So go to uh, patreon.com slash Alex Bolin, Alex with two X's. I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, uh, tonight I have on uh, two guests. I introduced them in the episode, so I will save that for that excitingness when it happens. Uh, here we go. Listen to Sleeves. Hey guys, it's me, Alex, from the Alex Cast. You may know that since you're listening to my show. And tonight we have on uh, Aaron David from Charm the Water and Vanessa. Hello, people. Hello. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having us. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for coming on. So you're both uh, representing tr- uh, the uh, Peacock Goat Review tonight. Is that correct? Yes. Cool. Uh, well, how about you guys tell us about that? Because... That'd be a good place to start, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this is our fourth month. Uh, fourth edition comes out. We are a monthly magazine, uh, sort of a fancy chat book. Uh, chat books are something that was um, kind of in Europe in 15, 1600s. They were kind of considered street publications. So. Uh, that's kind of our grassroots movement, and uh, Vanessa is one of our writers. Um, we are all uh, occultist of one sort of another, so that's kind of the uh, the flavor. And uh, Vanessa, do you want to add anything to that? I can't really think anything off the top of my head. I think we're about seven, eight in number writers right now we just added one uh last month so uh yeah oh great the the t- i have a tagline i i have to look it up really quick to- <laughs> it's uh from our volume one number one um issue and uh when i when i first started out i wanted to do this monthly which i knew was going to be a um, quite a bit of work, and uh, I know Alex, you you're a writer, and uh, I know you know how that goes. So it's been really amazing to see the uh, writers grow uh, just over these last four months, and it, it's kind of funny how we all hit a number of topics. Uh, we don't talk together much at all about you know what we're going to do 
I just ask for submissions and get them in about, well, today, around the 15th of the month. And then we uh, publish the 31st, our last day of the month. And uh, it's just been really awesome. I don't know, Vanessa and Alex, too. I'm going to see if you guys, just the process of writing has been so cool, doing it um, in a disciplined manner. I don't think occult is something that uh, has a lot of confusion around it about what it is and which direction to go. There's just so much information out there available. Um, and uh, I, for myself, I'm more of a traditional hermeticist. Uh, Rufus Opus was my first mentor. And, uh, of course, I don't know if you guys know who that is, dude. I know you do, Vanessa. Have you heard of him before, Alex? I, uh, only in the context of uh, like planetary magic or something along those lines, right? Yeah, he wrote a book uh, called The Seven Spheres. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, when he wrote it, uh, he got in a bit of trouble with some people who thought that was a bit dangerous uh, to jump people into initiating into the spheres, which if you start out with a golden dawn which there are a number of, or if you start out with the AA, <clears throat> you begin with elemental initiations and work your way up. And uh, then eventually you get to planetary initiations. Well, seven spheres he wrote just for somebody to pick up, jump right into and have their lives immediately decimated hmm. <laughs> by these spirits. So that's what happened with me. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, that's awesome. Jumping into the deep end. I mean, that's scary and I don't recommend it to people, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I actually worked through that book as well, though I didn't do it exactly by the book because I put it into a Sumerian mythological canon first before I performed any of the rites. Oh, cool. How, did, how does that work as far as like, transferring between you know the way he's writing and Sumerian lore? Um, it's mostly just a case of like swapping the deities and swapping correspondences as needed. Um, though the biggest difference is that uh, Mercury and Saturn are switched around in the Sumerian uh, pantheon. Um, that changed in the Babylonian times, um, the, the correspondences between Mercury and Saturn. So I have to switch those. <laughs> But other other than that, it's mostly a case of just you know switching out Sumerian words for or or you know the uh, the Orphic hymns for Sumerian hymns and um, you know deity names, swapping those out and using things that are in a Sumerian worldview rather than things from you know the Greco-Roman uh, pantheon. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. The the Sumerian. Uh, this is me being. Uh, old and forgetting everything. Is Sumerian the one where that's that's Tiamat gets torn in half and that's the universe gets made? Or is that that that's actually the Babylonian? That's Babylon time I always get period. them messed up. Yeah. Yeah. See, um the Babylonian is to Sumerian what Roman is to Greek. So, you know, it's part of the same general religion, but they have their own words and some of their own twists of things. Um so the Sumerian version of that story doesn't have the whole cutting in half part. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, um, because that was mostly an effort by the cult of Marduk to raise their uh, 
Marduk was the uh, patron deity of Babylon, the city of Babylon, and that was them trying to like make him more important than he was. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean that's a good way to do it by killing a god. I mean that's that'll, that'll put you high up on a list. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. How'd you get into the Sumerian thing? Well, actually, it started off as I started off with Wicca, and pretty early on, my patron goddess became Anana. And that made me more and more interested in the Sumerian stuff. And the more I delved into it, the more I just was pretty soon my whole practice just became Sumerian reconstructionalism mixed with various occult practices. And that's kind of where I'm at now. How did how did Inanna, how did that happen? Or is it, if that's too personal, don't you know go into it, but uh, mostly a series of synchronicities that I'd have to dig out my journal to really expound upon. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I I totally understand those. I I ended up with Sekhmet as some kind of weird personal deity for me, which makes no sense at all. But it was one of those coincidences and meditative practice and odd things. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, right, I guess that's, I guess this is happening now, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's more or less exactly how it was. Yeah, being being a weirdo occultist type is fun and very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> For me, yeah, and um, so, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was just um, gonna. Say, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so it started with just Anana, but pretty soon I realized that Sumerian deities don't really like cooperating with anything that isn't Sumerian. So pretty soon everything became Sumerian. <laughs> That's cool. At least it keeps things, you know, nice and tidy. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have any jealous gods. <laughs> exactly. What were you going to say, Aaron? Uh, throughout my journey, I started with uh, Venus. Uh, like Vanessa, I did not follow Seven Spheres to the T exactly either, which Seven Spheres is the Trithemian system, tri- uh, Trithemius, uh, the old guy. Um I got a hold of Rufus Opus, also Frater Ashen Chasson, who did a more traditional take on the Trithemian system. So I read both of their books, Rufus Opus and Frater Ashen Chasson, and just kind of did my own thing, did the traditional circle of art and stuff, and really didn't know about any of this occult stuff. The correspondences Vanessa is talking about, you know, it's kind of a symbol set, a language, the occult, and you kind of just catch on over a period of time. I didn't know any of that when I started. Like you said, Alex, I just jumped in feet first, head first. My first conjuration was uh, Venus. And uh, so when Vanessa talks about Inanna, I kind of recognize Vanessa has been a big help along my journey and bringing in the Sumerian information and we kind of juxtaposing it with the uh, sort of uh, hermetic tree of life correspondences and stuff. And it's been really interesting to see some of the correlations there. For instance, I am a triple Capricorn and I had this really horrible experience with Venus. It scared, it's scared the shit out of me for about a good eight to 10 months where I just did not touch magic. And uh, it was such a real experience. I I was pulled back in. I just could not walk away from it. That being the most real thing that had ever happened to me. And it pertained to a black goat. And uh, 
that's really what fueled me digging in and digging out all the correspondences and through all of that, uh, seeing Vanessa, her growth in the Sumerian mythology and just kind of seeing that all of our stories are essentially the same, which is, uh, what, um, Oh God, I always have trouble with his name. The mythologist, um, Joseph Campbell. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of perceiving this as, uh, my experience, seeing it through that lens of kind of all these stories, they have the same players, no matter the names, the daemons, or if you want to go with demons or the gods, uh, I kind of think of them as in Egypt. The notion wasn't that they are gods per se, but more forces of nature. And I really like that. And I like to use the term demonic and instead of demonic, uh, going back to the, the classical daemons, but, uh, it's been a journey and, uh, kind of, juxtaposing that to the hero's journey and the what led up for me my entrance into this was a divorce and my father dying and just coming to the really rock bottom and uh in the midst of that what joseph campbell would call the call and uh me just um goat being the the representation for the dweller on the threshold or uh, that threshold experience that is immediately happens. Uh, Jung said <clears throat> something like, there can be no work without first uh, encountering the black dragon of the abyss. And I know this means a lot to Vanessa as well, but kind of interpreting what happened to me through those uh, lenses. And uh, it, I got through the whole seven spheres and it, I looked on the calendar and it was exactly 777 days uh, that it took me. So my growth within that, working the entire Trithemian system and Vanessa being there for, I think, most all of it. And uh, just kind of having her to bounce stuff off, ideas off of, has been really just awesome for me. And so I think anybody that starts this, they need somebody, uh, Kelly, uh, she works as sort of my seer as well. And uh, I, I'm not super sensitive to the spiritual world or the unconscious or whatever you want to call it. I really don't care. <laughs> it's something. Uh, she's more sensitive, much more sensitive than me. And having people who can uh, walk along with you on your, on your journey and uh, sort of help you not to uh, fly off into too much craziness as, as you encounter these, uh, demonic forces. It's just been really awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it, it's a long and, you know, convoluted thing, but what is it? Is there a, a, a short elevator pitch of what happened to you in quotes? Yeah. And I, I, I would like to hear, uh, Vanessa's encounter, which, which is very similar to mine, but not quite the same. So oh, please, both of you, uh, throw things at me. I'm, I've been doing this show for years. I want other people to talk. <laughs> I had experiences in each of the seven spheres. Just, I mean, I can. I've never been emotional. Um, I've my background. I grew up in Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, fundamentalist Christians. Oh, each very Sorry. legalistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried my hand at that, and it resulted in a 
Well, I went from that to five point Calvinism, which was much more intellectual. I like books. I like systematic theology. I like things to be systematized. Um, and that ended my marriage, kind of the, that what Nietzsche called the theological disease. And uh, I've come to look at it at that as that. So that was my state of mind. And then through the divorce, kind of all of that hardness, that theological hardness of you know how the world works, you know the right philosophy, you have the right worldview, which has answered all of your questions. Watching that crumble at my feet and uh, then running into Rufus Opus online and him sending me his Neoplatonic Basics and uh, not long after he published Seven Spheres. So I, I decide I'm going to do the Venus thing because it was an appropriate time. I was looking at Chris Warnick's uh, email notifications or newsletter or something. And uh, he was talking about uh, Venus and Procyon, and this would be an excellent time for a Procyon talisman. Well, I said, the hell with it. I, you know, this will, I'll just start with Venus as my first planetary conjuration. So did it and went to bed and had the most satanic, horrible experience ever that would go. It would keep unfolding. Hell, it's still unfolding. Um, basically, uh, I, I heard Terrence McKenna talk about sort of this initiation is a blurring between the unconscious mind and conscious mind, between the dream mind and uh, waking mind. And this is certainly what's happened. I couldn't tell this experience from reality. That's how real it was. So the, the first time I see goat, this all happened in one night. He's a little black goat walking down the street and uh, he shows up at my feet and he's got a little collar, like a little Dracula collar. And my dead uncle is standing next to him and my uncle's got some kind of tumor or something under his chin and is growing a goatee. And this little black goat goes into my aunt's house, which was my uncle's wife still living. And uh, it was a few weeks after this experience, my aunt actually died. Uh, so that was very kind of a omen of death. Uh, that goat was in in this experience. Well, I kept thinking that I woke up. The dreams kept on intensifying with this goat figure, black goat. I would wake up, or I thought I would wake up, and I would be in another sequence. And this, the last one was, I was living uh, at my mom's house. My mom has dementia, and at the time I was with her, and. Uh, I'm kind of getting freaked out. <laughs> like, calm down a second, catch your breath. <clears throat> I, uh, in, in this visionary experience, I woke up and walked down the hall, turned the corner into the kitchen, and my mom was standing there, but she had this black goat head. And she slowly turns around, and you have to realize this, this I thought I was awake. Oh, yeah. As, as she turns around, her hand reaches up and it grabs the goat face and pulls the front of the face off. And there's this just black void. And uh, I hear this male voice say, they are all liars. And I pull myself out of the dream, like absolutely terrified. Wake up my mom. Uh, 
is in the hall where she would be about be and she's holding herself and she doesn't respond to me. Um, the phone rings and it's my aunt. There was a bunch of family stuff in those dream sequences with the black goat. There was also a woman who I came to call Venus Calva and something was wrong with her right eye. Uh, in the coming days, my right eye would fall out in this visionary experience. I know I'm going all over the place and this sounds insane. <laughs> I'm I'm good with insane. That's perfectly this is this is this makes sense to my worldview. <laughs> um not long after that, just in the coming days after that initial conjuration, that very night I went to bed and I had this like what I call astral colored goat head. It was in light hues of white, blues, grays, like kind of the astral look. It was right in front of my face in bed as I was like halfway in between wake and sleep. And I kept hearing two words, master wart, mother wart, master wart, mother wart, over and over and over and over all night long. Uh, the next day, I have this picture of Jesus's head. It's a large portrait. It was done. I can't think of the name or the artist right now, but I know it was actually in the movie, The Exorcist. And I've seen it here and there. Uh, it's just a severed head of Christ, and you can't tell if his eyes are open or closed. It was pulled off the wall, and it smashed this glass altar that I had a money doll in on. And I personally believe that the spirit that I had placed within the money doll was harvested then. Um, there were finger streaks down the front of this large portrait of Christ's head. And if you got, I didn't know later, but the Templars and the, this image of uh, this head, I would come to find out later. Um, there was about, at the time that happened, I went to work and uh, got a call from my mom. She said there was like 30 or 40 flies that had just appeared in the kitchen, which is where this dream sequence took place. I came home from work. And sure enough, there was like 30, 40 flies. She had killed a bunch. I killed the remainder of them. Just like I was, I was, you can't, you guys can't believe the terror I was in after, <laughs> after this. Um, in the coming days, that like a night or two later, oh, the flies had green metallic bodies. There were, uh, I forget what the thing is, but me learning the correspondences and I'm like, I'm, I'm just such in a state of mind that I'm like, Oh my God, Venus, copper, green. Uh, well, next couple of nights I walk out. I, I actually have a few beers to try to calm down. I've got a good buzz on and I walk outside. To, I smoke cigarettes. At the, I don't drink or smoke now. Uh, walked outside to have a cigarette. And as soon as I walk out the entire sky in one section lights up green and I see green reflected on the trees and I think holy shit and it just gets bigger and closer like something came down and landed I didn't hear any noise but it was this enormous green flash that lit up nearby trees and I was like what came to my mind was I had heard a story about a magician who was involved in the occult and he says a flying saucer came down and the devil came out of it 
well, I was like, well, I've already met the devil. Now here's the flying saucer. And I just, without even smoking my cigarette, ran back, back inside. Uh, after I thought about it and calmed down a bit, sobered up, I believe that was a uh, comet, a fireball, kind of rare, but they burn green because of the copper content in the meteorite. So interesting, all these synchronicities, which I could just go on and on. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying that um, there are green fireball meteorites that burn uh, green because of the copper. So um, it was just a combination of things that happened in my head and things that happened outside of my head that left no question about the reality of uh, this magic stuff. That's that's fucking intense. One, so let me not dissuade anything. Like that's on the table. Intense. That's yeah. That's a good thing. That's cool to go through. I like when things like that happen. But Chu, I think yeah. Just quickly. So you're raised some variation of Christian, and this is something that right. I I fought with. I was raised Catholic. It was a fucking mess. I really regret it. Uh, but you know, I wasn't in charge. Did the goat thing? I mean, that, I, how do you not? I'm not, I don't mean this accusatory, but I mean, like, how do you not just go, oh, crap, it's the devil and just go back to being a Christian? Like, you know, because right. it's, that's like, that's the bad guy for the book you were raised on, you know? I felt that there, I just couldn't believe it, that I was a Calvinist and very, I loved logic. I loved reason. I loved to watch debate with Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris debating all the Calvinist presuppositional guys. Like I, I just could not, it was too, too easy to say, yes, well, they were right. I got involved in the occult and the devil showed yeah. up. It was just, it, it, you know, I mean, it was just too, I couldn't swallow it <laughs> that that's actually what had happened. Um, and that's what drove me over the next year to saying what, what the F did happen? Like, what is this about? What? You know, I can't swallow that one. That yeah, I got involved. I just couldn't go back because I had taken Christianity to the extreme and found it bereft of any authenticity. Um, and the the philosophical part, the theological part, had also failed me. It failed to keep my marriage together, and I found that use useless. And um, what Goat told me when I stared into that black blacker than blackness behind the face is said they are all liars i've come to embrace that in two ways you have to remember this was a venus conjuration netsock um it affected all of my relationships i wasn't now i i met somebody and i'm am, am very happy but that took a while and it <clears throat> that like um not only my romantic relationships, but my family relationships. What Venus, I came to learn Venus was supposed to be about when it said they are all liars. That's how I felt deep down inside my own core. Everybody's a fucking liar and they're going to stab you in the back. And so just don't even bother. That was my attitude towards the whole world. And so just in that, those four words goat sum that up and so i embrace it in that way i also embrace it in the way that goat it was a paradox it was the liar's paradox but it's also true and this led me to dilethism it's a contradiction but it's true because 
all of these philosophies, all of these worldviews, all of these meta narratives, they're just by and large print created by <clears throat> human logic, human reason, small mouth noises of primates. And to think that they could come close to reality is just to be naive in the extreme. And so in that way, I, I've come to say, yes, they are all liars. And the only thing to look for now is what mystics have called gnosis, have called understanding, bana. Um, that's what it's all about for me now. Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. Uh, I, yeah, it's my, my, it's, it's my own hangups. I mean, I'm certainly not a Christian in any way, shape or form. I just, I guess I'm just weak minded a little bit. <laughs> I think the goat guy would have scared me a lot more than it did you. So oh, good, good job. Me. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, hell, he still scares me. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, but, uh, uh, let's, you, you made reference that, uh, Vanessa, uh, you, you did, so obviously you did this similar system, but with Sumerian, um, kind of, uh, top level domain um what uh what can you tell us about that at all is that or is that sorry i know this is the most broad question in the universe but that's there it is <laughs> like what 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 was did you have a peacock is that are we putting this all together <laughs> <laughs> no peacock but uh a uh, dragon <laughs> Ooh, well dragons are peacock-esque <laughs> so what uh what, what was your dragon thing if, the, if this is you know tellable uh, well, that that's actually at the end of the story. To get to get to start the story, I was raised Protestant, um, specifically Wesleyan Pietism. Um, <laughs> the, the, yes, that very famous one that I've definitely heard of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> essentially the most generic Protestantism you can think of. Oh, okay. Um, I I was raised. You know, my parents were very very you know, hard right Christians, the sort of, you know, the Bible is literally true, all that sort of stuff. But then never quite sit right with me, even from a young age, it never quite sit right with me. And I wanted to believe it because I wanted to get along with my parents and all that sort of stuff, but it never, it never, it never took. And by the time I was in middle school, I, I remember the moment that I decided I wasn't a Christian anymore. It actually happened at Bible camp, of all things. Hmm. <laughs> I was at a, a church camp, and uh, I remember asking the counselors some sort of question about some something we had like talked about or something. I don't remember what the question was, but I remember his answer because it threw me. He said that, Oh, you're just one of those thinking people. You can't think. You you just got to believe it and let God take care of everything. And that just that just messed with me. I was just like, "No, that's not right. That's there's the moment you have to turn off your brain and stop thinking for it to work is the moment that you know there's something there's something on fire in that kitchen." Yeah. <laughs> and that was the moment I I didn't tell him that. I, I just said, okay, and, you know, went along my way so we wouldn't have to talk about it anymore. But in my head, I was thinking, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I can't do this stuff. This is nonsense. And so it, at that point, I more or less went hard into hard new atheism, the sort of all your beliefs are wrong and 
you've you're crazy if you think spirits exist and all that sort of stuff person and that's kind of where i sat for a while until my mom died and that just that hit me like a ton of bricks and i was not ready to to deal with that and so that got me in a position where i was a little bit more open but what really did it was um i was at a party with my then girlfriend and uh i didn't know but the family was some manner of paganism i'm not even sure what form and but I, one of the kids there had asked a question, I forget what of, but I just started running my mouth off with the hard scientific answer. And to make a long story short, that kid's drunk uncle cornered me and gave me like an hour long lecture about why I was like the height of rudeness to do that. And so, in an effort to learn from my mistake, I've des- I decided to give paganism a try and see what happens. You know, the the one thing that the the new atheists repeat over and over and over is, you know, show me the evidence. So I was like, you know what? Let's go and see if there is evidence for this, because I didn't really know anything about paganism at that point. I knew it was a thing, but that was about it. And so the the only form I was familiar with at the time was Wicca because I had dated someone in high school who had been Wiccan, though she didn't really talk about it, didn't really know much about it, honestly. I think she was just – well, either way, that's beside the point. Um, so I started dabbling in Wicca, and I tried some candle magic, and it worked. And I didn't expect it to work. I went into it expecting it to fail, and it worked. So I kept doing it, and I kept getting results. And I, results that were not obvious enough that it's it's not like all Hollywood boom sparks everywhere, but also not unobvious enough that I could dismiss it. So I just kept going, and I got deeper and deeper into Wicca, and eventually I got to a point where um, they in, – in, in Cunningham, in his books, at some point you'd choose a patron, god and goddess. And through a series of synchronicities, I ended up picking Inanna. And that's when it was like the the uh, the driver in the car that I was in put the – their foot to the floor and we took off because everything went crazy after that and uh i got really into sumerian stuff and about this time i come across um aaron's podcast and he's talking about seven spheres and so i get a copy of that and i start working through things and i get really 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 into the kabbalah and i start working through the various sephirot um, and the various, uh, I kind of mix the Kabbalah with the Wiccan, like correspondence charts and the, the seven spheres and, this, and the Sumerian stuff, just kind of mixing things, whatever felt like the right thing to do. 
Um, and it eventually all led up to this meditation. At some point, I also started attending Sangha at a, at a, uh, at the, uh, mindfulness community in Columbus and which is a really nice thing. And I, I still like going to that, um, <laughs> but I learned meditation and eventually it came to this meditation exercise where I stopped being in my body anymore. And I was in this abyss where I was, it was like blacker than black, hard to even explain was the weirdest thing it was like it was devoid of anything but also felt like i was swimming if you can parse that um and i this big white dragon well i i only saw its head because of the way i was positioned and it like came up from the right side and it introduced itself to me as tiamat which of note i didn't know that the Sumerian name for Tiamat was Namu at this point. I only knew the Babylonian name Tiamat. Um, so I think that's why she used that name was because it was familiar to me. And she sent me through this really ridiculous um, trial thing where I was thrown into a bunch of different like possible alternative incarnations and I was made to choose, and I chose to come back because I was worried about the people I had left behind. Um, but that gave me a lot to think. That that kind of changed the tone of it. Before, it was more about searching for the truth behind the archetypes. You know, who really are the deities behind all these spheres? And at that point, it stopped being about external and started being about internal. It started being about, well, what are my motivations? What are what really defines me? How do I know, you know, if I'm doing the right thing? If I'm really being the best me I can be? All those sort of questions that people inevitably go through in their life, but I had them all at once. And that ultimately led to another experience where I was driving home from work and it was at just the right time that the sky was still blue, but I could start seeing stars. And I got this phrase in my head that I, at the time, had attributed to An, the Sumerian god of the sky, mostly because I was staring at the sky when I when it came to my mind, but it was the phrase, what is hidden behind the sky? And much like Aaron with the, they are all liars, summing up everything that he had been thinking up until that point, that more or less summed up everything I had been thinking, which was what is really the system behind all of this stuff that I've been delving so deeply into what what's really the the underlying system essentially like what's the algorithm that puts all this into being and i didn't get an i didn't finally answer it until the second issue of peacock goat review i actually wrote what i decided the answer was 
which was essentially the combination of the stars, both as the constellations and the and the astrological signs and all that, but also the stars as a scrying surface. The sky is a scrying surface, the night sky, as being a like a sort of mirror into our soul. All right. So, so yeah, the as above, so below a little bit there. The kind of reflection yeah. of, of yeah. And that's sort of where I'm at now. I've I've started I've started going down another road and I think it's gonna be well it's it's and it's gonna tie into my, my, my next article for Peacock Gut Review, which is uh, dealing with the afterlife and and I don't really wanna go in too much detail because I haven't finished the article yeah. yet. I've it's it's a big topic and I've been doing a lot of research and I've I've been reading books i've got quite a few books on this on the subjects i'm reading so <laughs> i'm a little late for this month's article but i'm pretty close to having it done yeah it's only the 15th right <laughs> now you're wanna, fine i don't want to spoil it too much so i'm gonna leave it at that well you use, use the phrase that uh i'm not going to quote you because i'm terrible at quoting things but it's this is the thing that my my if i have one thought that i meditate on all the time is whether or not there is something outside that is – everything we're talking about, are we just talking about whether you want to call them Jungian archetypes or the hero's journey or any kind of just, hey, our brains are built this way and we create heroes? Or are we dealing with actual external forces enacting on us? Or are we the forces enacting on the universe using these archetypes? And I think about this constantly and I still don't have an answer after – you know, 20 years dealing with this crap. So, yeah, and I might be just slow, but. What well, is the transcendental object at the end of time? Yeah. As Tim McKenna put it. The the conclusion I came to was both. Yeah, I, that's probably right, but that's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had to make my peace with it yeah. because it was literally driving me insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's me and my friends were admittedly high, but came to this kind of, uh, you know, using the word quantum wrong kind of thing of like, well, it's a quantum state where, yeah, it's true and false at the same moment. And it's only something when you look at it. And then if you find a definite state, then it, eh, it became a whole thing. But that's that's all I can come up with. But yeah, it just yeah. But that's I, I wanted I need an answer. I need to start a cult soon. I need to I need to have definitive answers to, to give to people. <laughs> Can I say something to that? Oh, please. Um, I'm a big fan of Terrence McKenna. He talks about his kind of spiel has meshed so well with uh, the philosophy that came out of the koan, they are all liars. And I came to look at it as a koan, as something that I had to sit with, and I could not swallow it, and I could not toss it away. I just had to, like a hot coal, let it sit and burn. Um that <clears throat> kind of McKenna put it that we all kind of want a conclusion. We want a nice, tidy story, have it wrapped up with a bow and have a, a nice ending to it. We want conclusion. We want we want it turned into a narrative we can grasp. And I think that the nature of these things is it's just it's too big to put into small mouth noises or 
print. Uh, it's just transcendental. I hate to use that word because it suggests uh, transcendental from an Abrahamic perspective. And I know that uh, from a certain Kabbalistic perspective, as well as Jake Strat Stratton Kent's perspective, we, we try to stay away from that word transcendental. But uh, like I'm neither e either or. Um, what I want to say is the mysteries have always kind of tried to answer those questions and they center on spiritual attainment and kind of filling in those gaps of unknowns. Um, then there's the practical hermetica or what we consider magic. I know Stephen Skinner divides these two. He says there's the mysteries, which they're filled with the answers and they're meant for spiritual attainment, spiritual growth. And then over here we have magic, which is a science. It's a technology and it's for practical results. My experience, I found an answer that fills in all of the gaps. It's the felt truth of the present, which is the answer. And it's just staying there with that. Uh, and it sounds ridiculous. It's talking about things like dreams and visions and all of this stuff in your head that in this type of society in the West, we're embarrassed to talk about it. Um, we downplay it. We marginalize it. But uh, for me, to, that, well, here's the mysteries or here's sophistry or here's the philosophy. And then over here, here's magic. Those two, it's kind of like the hermetic uh, bringing opposites into union. I see that my questions are totally fulfilled in that the felt truth of the present is where to stay with this stuff in contact with the daemons. And at the same time, that spiritual growth uh, through that mysticism uh, just comes this reality within you that's just transformed me. Like there's this inner strength there in those experiences uh, that I know they're more real than anything else I could experience. That leads to this practical experience. I mean, a uh, practical change in the world that uh, Skinner would say, well, that's what magic is about. I would say magic does both things. Uh, it's sort of the mystical internal alchemy, and that results in outward change in the material world, just like the spheres uh, emanating down um, once we activate them in ourselves, then we, our will to use thelemic, uh, our true will term, uh, it actually activates. We actually start changing stuff and we actually can use magic for stuff other than like, uh, getting into relationships that will end up horribly and hurting ourselves more. It's kind of like Crowley said, by the time you could, if you want to, kill somebody with magic by the time you learn to like you'll know better that's like totally what it's been for me so yeah. anyway i know that was kind of meandering but no no it's it's i mean i don't i know there's not an answer so i mean that that's a good answer like yeah. what it's it, it's just one of those things where i like to talk about it on the show because other people view it differently and that's you, you i think you and i have a similar system i i'm not a big systematic magic person but i i certainly after years of doing this stuff, feel like it is one of these enacted in self and then it comes out into the universe. Like it, it 
begins within and then moves without. And it doesn't, that actually doesn't matter because it, it could be from without and then within. But the point is it has mm -hmm. to be within in order for, you know, the actual manifested differences in if we want to believe in a consensus reality, which I don't really, but you get the concept, you know, that, you know, yeah. at some point I if can you... will something into difference. I try to keep up with what's being said, and especially in the magical world. I try to keep up with the books, even though since this stuff has happened to me, I used to be a worshiper of books. Like, I thought they were the answer. I thought intellectualism was the answer to everything. But now, like, I, I've got this other thing where that kind of died off. But I still like books, and I still want to keep up, because if you just give this answer of the felt truth of the present, and blah, 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 and be all mystical about it or give out a koan like a, a Zen master or something, people think you're intellectually lazy. And so going back to the Thelemic thing, it's scientific illuminism. I love to hear about science, love to hear about worldviews and metanarives and be able to draw metaphors with what my experience is by using th that knowledge. And, you know, knowledge belongs to Doth. It, Doth is a theoretical sphere and in my opinion, all knowledge is provisional. So what really matters here, what we're really after as seekers is understanding. And even though I get that, I still have to like communicate in a knowledgeable way or like, you know, what's the point? Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I, I was just telling my friends about this, but with tarot, I, I read tarot for a million years is just cards as symbols, literally never learned the rote meaning of them because I didn't want to. It seemed stupid. But then anytime I talked to anybody about tarot, I just felt like an idiot because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any of the, like whatever they're talking about. I'm like, oh, the for whatever means whatever. I'm like, I don't know. Like I look at the cards. I use them as a, as a scrying means. Like I kind of thought that was the point, but then it's like, oh yeah, no, I look like an idiot. So all right, fine. I'll buy some books and learn it your fancy way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice balance. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've gotten to the point now that I only, re it's weird. Like I'm, I consider myself a practicing, you know, weirdo. I'm an occultist. I do these things, but I read more about science and and I read fiction. Like I barely, like I, I don't read any of the like magical texts anymore because I'm like, I think I gotta, I I got my yeah. I got my head around kind of the way I view sorta it, and I don't I don't know mm -hmm. if reading any more books is gonna do anything for me. I uh I I feel the same way, and um, it's it's been funny that I start a magazine then, even though I'm, I call it the print created world and I critique it. I also find incredible definement within myself. Like Vanessa mentioned, um, she got her answer by writing it out and got the understanding. There's something, even though we can criticize people who take a print created world for reality, um, we do need knowledge. We do need doth. Uh, we do need that provisional knowledge or like that's our best way to communicate with each other. And so this, this whole magical process I think is one of individuation and coming to it, a, a true, uh, self, uh, authentic self. And I think everything else out there that you can clothe yourself with is inauthentic. And I also think that's what goat meant. Um, I don't want to get on. This is really getting into a belief, but it's beliefs built on experience. What Vanessa said about her experience pertaining to past lives. Um, I've had the same thing. And for me to come from a 
fundamentalist Christian Protestant background into embracing, well, of course, I don't believe in reincarnation. I was, you know, I have this whole thing where I, I was killed as a Roman soldier, like that's popped up. I don't need to believe in it. That's just what happened. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. And so Peacock Go Reviews, it's just been so cool to find people. I handpicked these people and like to see where they are and to see how similar our views is, no matter their background. And to see that we're all kind of seekers on this uh, this same path. Crowley, Crowley um, took something. It's in an account of AA and one of the early um, equinoxes. He talks about an interior order of uh, an illuminated community scattered throughout the world. But it's governed by one truth and united in one spirit. And so for me, that's it. It's like the uh, Twin Peaks, the uh, White Lodge, or the Great White Brotherhood, if you put it in uh, Blavatsky's terms, I think. Um, that's It's actually out there in some form or another. This is what it is. All these paths are on the same mountain, Mount Avenue. Um, that's the mountain we're all climbing as these people... I, I just have to settle for the term seeker. Yeah. And Sorry. That, I know that was like really new agey. And <laughs> no, I mean, well, that's, I mean, that's, I have no problem with new age. I mean, literally that's the dawning of a new, I mean, that's what Crowley wrote about it. If you want to call it new aeonist instead of new ageist, but I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, like the term new age shouldn't be shit on. Like that's, that, that was a really important thing. Like we're dealing with the world changing and moving into a new house of yada, yada. Like it's, I got no problem with new age. You know, it's people mm-hmm. took advantage of it, but people take advantage of every single religion and belief system that's ever happened. Like I, I remember back in high school, there were a lot of dudes that believed in Wicca and heavy quotes just because they wanted to get laid with the cute witch, witchy girls, yeah. you know, like <laughs> people take advantage of everything. It's the nature of the beast. So I got, you know, I got long story short, I'm, I'm unabashedly no, no fear of the word, uh, uh, new age. And I also don't think woo woo is a bad thing to talk about. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, I, I, I've trained myself into believing that my will could change in quotes reality. It's a fucking crazy thing to think. So I'm fine with someone saying it's a little bit woo woo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm also into like practical results and the age of Horus is stepping into power. Uh, Vanessa, you've, you've remember in seven spheres where it talks about kingship and that sort of, he explains it being like a, a genderless term in the beginning and why he uses that but what why we go to the seven spheres and initiate into the planets it's like stepping into a place of authority in our own lives and coming into alignment i guess with the Tao or whatever and finding that true will and then not just hanging out there is like a a cool place to be a cool place to be clothed with a culture and a culture um but to actually take power Nobody ever, I don't care what anybody says, nobody ever is given power. You have to take it. And so for me, this like hero's journey of individuation and losing my mind and coming through these experiences and really being what Hermes tells Tat in the Hermetica is being reborn of mind 
uh, is the same thing that Christ was talking about. Um, and Paul, when he talks about a, a regenerated mind, a renewing of the mind, the, the second birth, it's all talking about the same thing uh, for me. I guess just got lost where I was going with that. Oh, that's fine. Uh, uh, Vanessa, uh, question for you over there. Uh, in the Sumerian kind of view, is there a similar kind of concept of like a new aeon or, uh, you know, uh, the, the the Hindus have the same thing? Like, I mean, a lot of traditions have this kind of world cycle changing over. Is there a, a, a kind of version of that in the Sumerian style belief system? Not that I've come across, though, unfortunately, there's, you know, a lot of gaps in what survives. Um, Not only, like, physical gaps in the tablets, but also, you know, missing tablets. We know there's a lot of tablets that are missing because they actually kept a list of their libraries. And, you know, if there's a tablet that's on the list of the library and we don't have it, well, we know it's missing. Yeah. But uh, um, beyond that, there's there's a huge library of tablets in the British Museum that hasn't been translated. So it's possible that they did, and I just haven't come across it. Though they certainly had, you know, ideas of like the cyclical nature of things. In fact, a lot of the myths are centered around the cyclical nature of things. In fact, Anana's biggest myth is actually focusing around the cyclical nature of the seasons. Oh, okay. And and is there what myth is that? Sorry, I I feel like I'm asking the dumbest uh, the questions. Uh, just all this stuff is really interesting to me. <laughs> uh, the descent of Anana. She descends into the underworld, and there's a lot of really interesting occult symbolism involved in it. But um, I'm going to skip over that for the moment. But um, at the end of the myth, she condemns her consort to spend half his life in the underworld because he did something to upset her and um, half his life outside the underworld. And that's supposed to be the reason for the spring, um, the coming of the spring and the, the, the start of winter. So, you know, the growing season and then the season where things don't grow. Yeah. That's that myth sounds very familiar to me now. This is, unfortunately, anything I read about Sumerian or Babylonian stuff was when I was in college, which was a lot of years ago at this point. So it's this vague blur of, I don't know, Gilgamesh did something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gilgamesh is actually going to be involved in my article this month. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, anything revolving around death, that's a good narrative. I mean, that's a powerful story about a man trying to, you know, come to grips with mortality. Yep. They actually just—I just read the other day that they found new, uh, new tablet fragments of that. Um, I'm not familiar, but there's certainly already multiple versions of it. And, yeah. Uh, well, there's a whole chunk missing. Me. There's a whole chunk missing in the middle that they know about, as you're saying. Like, there's this whole Garden of Eden thing that they reference, and then it's not actually there because they're like, "Hey, remember when we were at that garden? You know, that garden we were at." <laughs> and then, but it's that we don't have those pages—not pages, but yeah. <laughs> tablets yeah yeah um oh okay so wait we're we're sorry we're going completely around um i'm the worst host in the universe we've i think we got the word goat where's peacock coming from <laughs> um i had a conversation with frater austin chasson and in one of the spheres uh he encountered 
this peacock standing on a pyramid. And we had this conversation because of uh, my experience. I'll tell you in a bit. But he when he heard what happened to me in Venus, he brought up his experience, which I had read in his book. Maybe I contacted him. I forget. But um, that kind of brought us down or brought me to looking into Emaman, one of the demon kings. And um, there's also, you can find in uh, Crowley's writings, the peacock, uh, peacock of the universe or universal peacock. There you go. And it's a, you know, from the Yazidi, it's, it's all in there. Uh, my experience with it was culminating in all of this stuff that happened after the Venus conjuration and goat and Venus Calva. Um, one of the visionary experiences was I had just bought a Sony a 6300 camera. And in this dream, I had it around my neck and I was walking up to a cave mouth and just in the cave mouth, there was a goat, black goat, black goat. Again, I knew who it was. And, um, it's got these beautiful black peacock wings. This is the most beautiful animal like I've ever seen. And I'm not looking at it directly. I'm looking at it through the camera lens. And I just want to get closer to it to take pictures of it. Uh, even though it's, it's very sort of hellish in a way. And there's that sort of fear of this, uh, the darkness emanating off of it. There's also this incredible beauty. So... I very slowly advance, and as I do, it very slowly backs into this cave, and it's keeping direct eye contact with me. And since then, I've had spirits look at me like this. Um, it's it's kind of a, a eye contact that says, "Pay attention," and. As I advance, I'm going, I'm going closer and closer to it, and we're going further into the cave. And it comes to the back of the cave wall where there's this a clove, and it steps up into it. And I am just standing right next to it, looking through the camera at the black peacock wings in incredible detail. And I just, I'm just overwhelmed at the beauty. And, um, I wake up from that and then go on this journey of, of looking at this peacock figure uh, in myth and uh, talking to Chasan and, and digging into the demonic kings. And it's just a huge rabbit hole. And honestly, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and finding out the Islamic Antichrist, who is a one-eyed man who lives in a cave, who will come at the end of time. Um, after seeing that blacker than blackness, by the way, uh, Vanessa, you were talking about the, um, myth, uh, of Inanna and the underworld. I was thinking of Isis and Osiris and Isis is taking Osiris back together and Osiris being the sort of regenerative, regenerative power causes this, the plants to grow in spring and causes life to come back. A lot of that. Uh, so I, I've just come to look at this goat figure as that's the peacock goat. Now, what is he is the question. 
And that actually has a really interesting tie-in with Sumerian mythology, because in Sumerian mythology, there's the god Enki, and Enki is the lord of the Abzu. And Abzu is a Sumerian word that both means the well of souls and also freshwater springs. And so he has three animals that he's associated with, a fish, a goat, and a bird. The goat goat and the fish were later combined together and became the symbol of Capricorn, um, but he also has a bird. So you could easily see the bird plus the goat could be the peacock goat. Um, and of course, freshwater springs often come from caves. So it's kind of interesting that it like t- all ties in with Sumerian mythology. And, um, uh, before this even happened... I named, I started a podcast. This was just a couple of weeks into the podcast that this happened. It was um, July 15 of 2016 was the date of my Venus conjuration. I named the podcast Charm the Water. And so water is the classical element, the magical element I most identify with, even though as a triple Capricorn, I'm very heavily weighed down with earth. Um it's it's water where I, I look to. And Abzu in Sumerian is literally the word Ab, which means water. It's literally the word for water. And Zu, which means wisdom. So it's water of wisdom. So in a way, it's almost charm the water. Because <laughs> um, they also use it for their holy water, spring water, um, which they mix with soap wort. Hmm. You mentioning a wart. I had never heard of motherwort or masterwort. Those are the two herbs. I, I realized they were herbs that Goat was telling me that night of uh, next night of the conjuration, just all night long, hearing that masterwort, motherwort. Now, I've had Goat come back many times since then, but I, I realized looking into Neoplatonic uh, stuff and about theurgy, um, there's what is called in theurgical terms, the Sunthamata, and it was about enlivening statues, drawing down spirits into statues. Trithemius's system is called drawing, uh, spirits into crystals, very similar stuff. Um, what they would do is take like, for instance, in the Greek magical papyri, uh, you would fashion a statue of Hermes and then in a hole in the bottom you would make you would fill it with herbs uh, maybe incenses maybe stones and those were the sunthamata or you could think of them as theurgic tokens and these were material on um like from the material world that corresponded with these daemons and i realized it clicked you know a year and a half, two years later, what Goat was giving me was a calling card, the Sunthamata, for him. And he also gave me the image. I mean, for me, the e- easy answer that people would understand is Goat is Baphomet. But um, Vanessa's right, too. We're talking about archetypal stuff, and they're present in every story. So they might go by different names, but uh, we're talking about the same guys. So. I hate to even say this on air because it was given to me personally. And I don't know if I just messed up by telling you what, what the calling card is. 
but also there's the image of the peacock goat. Uh, if you were to make a statue to draw the spirit down into, that is it. That's why it stepped into an, a clove in the cave. Uh, if you want to go to Revelation, that is the image in which you would worship uh, the beast to get all spooky. Yeah, I know. Uh, just for clarity's <laughs> sakes, and not not to rename, but so you're basically, you, calling card wise, you if you want it wants probably the wrong word, but let's just roll with it. If you want to have a goat encounter, you could use the two herbs mentioned in a ritual sense, and that would increase the odds of talking to him. And I'm again using um, him very wrong, but you get yeah. yes. Uh, short answer: yes. Uh, going back to the Greek magical papyri. Or the uh, Key of Solomon or Trithemius for each sphere um, going to the Goetia, you know, you have correspondences uh, sort of like to use a Gordon White term, the launch codes or to use a Stephen Skinner term. You have very specific technical things to do for contact. So, yeah. And speaking of drawing spirits into statues, the Sumerians used that holy water as part of the ritual for preparing statues to have the gods drawn into them. And actually, that's one of the most recent magical operations I've been doing is I recently made a clay figure of Inanna that I'm planning on doing exactly that to. Oh, cool. Now, what I, what does... Uh, short answer sorry the the problem with all this conversation on a podcast it's like oh cool i'm about to ask you something that could take seven hours to discuss but <laughs> what does <laughs> what does that get you i mean like um a blessing a statue of anana is are you trying to call her into the statue is this a what what is yeah <laughs> <laughs> well in in a short yeah that and for the, for the purpose of essentially communication, essentially the equivalent of a telephone. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's that's kind of what I was thinking of. Is is yeah, like this kind of uh, yeah totemic thing to try to ease the you know whatever whatever veil that makes it difficult to talk to these things. I would say um, you think of it from like an African traditional religion uh, with spirit pots. Uh, you're like pulling an astral daemon down into a touch point where, yeah, communication is easier, but it's not, it's, it's difficult because going into like a Buddhist type of thing and realizing that the egoic mind, what you think is you isn't really much of anything. It's just a haphazard collection of pathologies that were started in childhood as uh, sort of protection uh, mechanisms. <laughs> and going to what Vanessa said about the stars <clears throat> and uh, the Zodiac, and we are the stars. Crowley's, you know, everybody knows Crowley. Uh, every man and every woman is a star. But I think it's getting back to... Uh, your authentic self and you have to be in contact you know rufus opus has made the joke with me before it's my holy goat is my holy guardian demon and uh you know i can't imagine how freaked out my christian self would be 
one of the first things that you go about uh, is the conjuration of your natal angel or your um, agathos daemon, good demon, and your evil genius. Uh, in the, the classic hermetic stuff, um, I can't think of the book right now. Uh, Agrippa um, tells you how to do all of this stuff. So for me, my dualism throughout this stuff has kind of diminished, and I believe that the there's not much... Well, I, I don't know. It's good beliefs around it. But I think the first thing that dweller on the threshold, um, I think the questing beast becomes the alchemical angel. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's the alchemical angel also turns into be you. You aren't really a you. Um, in Chasson's, uh, one of his interviews, he talks about the angels that he has encountered, they find it amusing that we can even think of ourselves as individuals. Um, he says that the angels are very much sort of, I guess the best metaphor would be the Borg, sort of a hive mind. Um, and there's not this sort of egoic individualism, which I think says why we're here at all, is to uh, individuate and then rejoin. And I think why are we in communication? We're we're here in a place of individuation, and then we're, you know, going back up the tree, the the return. Uh, what did we learn? We're beginning that process, not at death, but here and now. So we're actively seeking uh, to regain that communication. Um, so what is initiation? It's death. What is death? Communion. And to tie it back into the uh, Descent of Inanna, she actually goes through seven gates, you know, the seven spheres, dies, and is resurrected, and then reascends with the knowledge of death. So <laughs> it all ties back in. It's, it's, it's more or less the same stories told a million different ways throughout time yeah well that's that whole hero's journey thing of just you know it's you you do a journey up a hill and then you do the journey back down the hill in reverse it's uh, uh yeah it's a, it's an interesting kind of i don't know universality is the wrong word but it's it's interesting that these kind of mm. themes keep repeating in completely disparate cultures across time they you know they in, invent these same because i mean the, the the story of inanna sounds i mean they're close enough to each other they probably cribbed but i mean that's there's greek myths that sound exactly like that like what's his name with the with the the seeds in the, the underworld oh yeah definitely persephone's persephone myth is thank you yeah inspired yeah. by anonis in some fashion we definitely know that the uh the greeks and the uh well it was the babylonians by that point but the greeks and the babylonians were sharing information actually that's where the greeks learned their astrology from of course, they'd never admit it. Yeah, <laughs> but we have the tablets, Greek on one side and Babylonian on the other. <laughs> yeah, they love inventing everything. Yeah, <laughs> even the shit they stole. That's a, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we learned everything we know from Egypt, but shh, keep that on the QT. <laughs> I have to mention um, chaos in Babylon. I kind of got angry at this. Was my first magical mentor, Rufus Opus. He became Thelemic, and we kind of lost contact for a while and i i did not like thelema or thelemites i thought they were nuts uh 
and I thought they worshipped Crowley, uh, and you know, as a they were just way too up his ass. I still think that, but I come around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. That's that's objectively true in a lot of cases. <laughs> I I've come to uh, appreciate Crowley and Thelema. My mentor's immediate reaction to my goat and woman uh, experience was, it sounds like chaos in Babylon. And I was like, oh yeah, that, you know, that was his, like telling me it was, it was the devil. I was like, oh, that, that makes perfect sense. They would show up, you know, in my mother's kitchen and, you know, it's just too absurd. But looking at the reality that that's what this stuff is about is experiencing the archetypes on a very personal level. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the. I don't want to say the goal, but yeah, that's sort of the yeah, that's sort of the the rub. Yeah. You're talking about uh, water and self reflection and uh, a few other things. You said um, I've been dabbling in a bit of Buddhist uh, thought, and um, I've come to look at the lesser banishing ritual pentagram. That gets a lot of like eye rolls, uh, in my experience hearing, but I, I have a lot of respect for it. I had big experiences with it that started with, started the elemental work rolling. And I see it now as a mandala, an internalized mandala or a Buddha field. And, um, like there's this Buddha of the West, I forget his name, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, I'll have to look it up on, uh, I wrote about it. I think the first edition of, uh, Peacock Goat, um, kind of that self-reflective, like, I don't think everybody should be the same. Not everybody should look at the way I do. I mean, that reality of we're all different and the Zodiac kind of reflecting that, uh, McKenna said nature is self same across scale it doesn't mean astrology is like the answer for everything and that defines everything. It means because nature is self-same across scale, it means you can look at any system and like see the story going on. You can see the the machinery behind. Um, so for me, I mean, I don't, Vanessa, I forget what your sign is. Um, well, uh, it's a, a tropical cancer. And uh, Alex, what about you? I don't know off the top. Of, I mean, my sun sign is Libra. I don't. I don't know my full chart off the top of my head. And so me, Capricorn. I mean, I would expect us to look at things in in very different ways and have, bring um, a lot of different things to the table. Um, so that worked for me. Um, recognizing who I am, I'm from the Western lands, and uh, very self self reflective and introspective and introverted. And not hating everybody that's different, uh, kind of going back to the uni uh, hermetic unification of opposites and seeing people learning through well, what's your sign. Oh, OK, I kind of get you now and uh, appreciating that. That's what has been, uh, man, just the practical help in life that it's been to me. I don't I'm not God as a five point Calvinist. I was such an asshole. <laughs> and uh, letting that drop off and coming to a, I can watch like Michelle Obama on 2020 talk about her book 
and I don't have to hear anything political and hater, or I can listen to even Trump and see like these people just from their human perspective, beyond all of this bullshit sort of Maya uh, false reality that um, drives people in this world to be able to be somebody who can look behind all of that stuff in day to day life, uh, not, not necessarily with political figures or, or whatever, uh, but just doing it in your day to day life has been such a, you know, this is the big thing I would like to say. Christians where I came from could not understand where I am now and they would be terrified by the goat thing. And I was terrified by the goat thing, but the changes that it's wrought, uh, I always say, don't look at what happened, look at what, the outcome. The outcome of those, all of those initiations has been just good. Uh, maturity and personal growth and uh, stepping into a, a place of personal power. It's been all been the most amazing transformative, transformative thing for me personally. And it's, it's just, I, I wouldn't do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think a perfect sum summation right there. Um, also, we've been going for a while. So uh, any final thoughts from either of you? Um, not really. I would just say you can get uh, uh, the Peacock Goat Review through charmthewater.com or uh, Charm the Water's Patreon page. And I'm looking to get it in more places, perhaps Amazon. It's available in e-version. It's also paper uh, edition. And uh, yeah, that's about paper it. Paper edition is great. I absolutely love the paper edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks it, very much. Oh uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, do you have social media or anything you want to plug? Or not necessarily social media, but I have uh, a couple websites. I have uh, butterfliesandincantations.com dot com, and I have gnostictempleofanana dot org. Awesome. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on and, uh, I will see y'all next time.